Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. We're talking about how to change the world, how to be world changers. And uh, I, I will probably repeat this again in the message But I want to remind you that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is God's chosen instrument for positive world change. He could dictate, mandate, dispatch angels, use a plethora of methodology that he wanted to, but rather what he chooses to do is reach down to frailty, frailty, I'll get it out here in a second, Reach down to frail humanity is the word I'm looking for, the phrase. And, and call and gift with talents and abilities and anoint and use and allow his glory to be revealed through them. That's, that's his MO. That's his methodology for reaching this world and changing this world. And Church, I've got to be honest with you. What this, what this world needs right now is a militant church that will stand up in the face of all of the adversity and the naysayers and the bad news and say, you know what, I'm just not receiving the report of negativity. I'm not receiving the report of the bad. I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to operate in the same. And I'm going to believe the Lord that I will see a victory that we corporately will see a victory. So this is kind of the premise we're operating on as we work through the book of Nehemiah. If you're just joining us, we have launched a series last week, as I said, and it's based on the book of Nehemiah and his work in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And I just encourage you today that, you know, as we're talking about how to change the world, that seems so daunting and overwhelming when we consider that on a global perspective or a per- perspective or a worldwide scope, and maybe that causes you just to check out, but you know, sometimes the world you change may be inside your own mind. The world you change may be for the person seated next to you, the person across the aisle from you, the person across the street from you, the person that you share an office with. Don't, don't limit yourself to what God can do through your life. So, here we are. We're jumping back in the book of Nehemiah. And when we last left our hero, <coughs> Nehemiah, he was getting ready. He was busy getting things in order to fulfill God's calling on his life. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him, inspired the work of his life. Last week we talked about that in order to be a true world changer, we've got to live in a space where the Holy Spirit is inspiring the work of our lives where he's guiding and leading us and he has received that revelation from the Lord and he has prayed and prepared accordingly his inspiration and preparation have met with opportunity and he found favor with God in that endeavor excuse me seasons are changing and that's never a good thing for me okay um King King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, has granted him power and the provision to go out and do what the Lord has laid on his heart to do. And so now Nehemiah is off. 
And about midway through chapter 2, we see Nehemiah not only off in Jerusalem, but he's taking off in this work. And before long, work is underway, and that's where we're going to pick things up today. The work has kind of started on the restoration of Jerusalem. And uh, you know how, how many of you like new things? We, it is not hard. Let me, let me just tell you as an organizational leader, it is not difficult to get people excited about new things. It's, it's a different story to keep people motivated behind older things. But, you know, to get people started off with new things is an is a, is a okay, you know, kind of task because uh, it's easy to build the excitement. And you know how it is when the day finally arrives for the new thing to start. Everybody's excited. Everybody's involved. Families were being assigned. I mean, people were like, sign me up. I'm ready to go. And what Nehemiah did is he went through the camp and he, he assigned to each family a section of the wall outside their residence. So they went out and they began working on the wall. And there's a spirit of unison which will be of utmost importance in the upcoming verses here. So hang on to that. Just, just hang on to that thought that there is a spirit of unity that is undergirding the work of the Jewish people here. And I want you to really dig in here with me today because we're going to cover a topic today that blindsides many in our world today. And what we're going to be discussing actually uh, ruins businesses, closes churches, destroys relationships, and has done much, much more to hinder the work of the Christian church than anything else the adversary has ever done from the outside. So... Chapter 4, we're going to jump ahead here to chapter 4. And chapter 4 shows us that as this progress of God's people had begun to transpire and take place, this work is shaping up now, that the people from the surrounding areas, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, they are they're not as excited about this work as the Jewish people are. They're not as excited about this progress and seeing the Jews rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And they worked and they schemed and they worked very hard to try to hinder or even stop the progress. We find here Nehemiah chapter 4, if you want to jump there in your word with me today, beginning in verse 7, it says, Now it happened that when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were being closed, beginning to be closed, they became very angry. Let me tell you something today, church. If you don't feel adversarial opposition... It's a fair indication that you're not making forward progress in your spiritual walk and in God's calling on your life. You know, it's, it's not a bad thing. People often think, well, I can't, whatever, because it, it's just, you know, I just, I'm being opposed. It's not the opposition that's the indicator that you're doing wrong. Oftentimes, it's the opposition that is the indication that you're moving in the right direction. So they're here and, and, and the people around are beginning. And it says, and all of them conspired together to come and to attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Some of you started some new disciplines in your life. 
You said, well, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm going to start going to church. And you started, and all of a sudden, Sunday mornings just became disastrous for you. Right? You, you are going to start getting up early in the mornings and reading your word, but all of a sudden now there are things that are keeping you up late at night. And, and you, just, you just can't. You don't have the wherewithal. And it just seems like there's all, like you, you've tried to take one step forward and it feels like the world is pushing back on you. That's okay. There's no, that's no time to quit. That's no time to give up. That is time to engage the age-old Christian term of pressing through. Pressing through, pressing on until the work of God is fulfilled in your life. So all of them conspired against them. They conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And I want you to note here, this is what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the response of the Jewish people to the outside attack. The response of the Jewish people to the attacks from the outside. Their response was that the Lord had touched their hearts, the Spirit of the Lord had inspired a work, they began to do it, and they began to face opposition from the outside. Their response was, and I pray this is your response, they strapped on their swords and organized into shifts. Some worked while others stood guard, and even those who were doing construction did construction with one hand and held a sword in the other hand and said, no, no, no. You ever, you've seen the t-shirts, they're real popular now, not today, Satan. I think, I think all these people were up on the wall and they had their not today, Satan shirts on. They had the sword in one hand, they were doing construction work with the other, and they're like, no, no, I've got a purpose in my life, I've got a call on my life, I've got an anointing on my life, and I will not be held back from what God has in store for me. I'm going to fight you, but I'm going to fulfill God's call on my life. 20 plus years of ministry, I can tell you that that is necessary. It is essential. Pastor Wayne testified decades of ministry that it is essential that you learn how to do the work that God has called you to while wielding the sword against your adversary at the same time. So they strap, and if, if an attack came in one section, oh, I love this part. I love this part. Because if an attack came in one section, there was a trumpet blast that was to go out and then all of the people from the other sections would come to the aid of those people and they would fend off the enemies and then they would go back to their posts. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Day and night they stayed alert. Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil's going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Day and night they stayed alert for those external threats because nobody from the outside was going to harm those on the inside and everybody worked together to make sure of that. I, I, I don't like national tragedy. I'm not a proponent of it and don't leave here today and say that it is, but this past week we, of course, commemorated the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and one of the most memorable things outside of the horror of that 
was that because there had been an outside attack on the soil of this land, there was a unison among the people that we don't often see. No, nobody was conservative or liberal. Nobody was Democrat or Republican. Nobody was black, white, Asian, Latino, anywhere in between. Everybody was American on that day. And, and you know what? When the devil comes against us, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, aren't we? We're just, we're just the church. And we are the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us and we're going to carry on and we're going to press in and press on. And When the attack is from the outside. That's how it works. I can talk about my family. How crazy and jacked up they are. You don't say nothing about my family. Because we, we tend to stick together when there's opposition from the outside. There's a righteous indignation that fills our spirit when we're faced with opposition from those who are not our own and we can rally together, we can overcome, we can rise above, but when someone comes against our group, our family, our tribe, even our business from the outside, we go into beast mode and we pledge that with our dying breath, we're going to stand together. But, everybody say but. <laughs> While they were so busy dealing with these outside threats, there was something else that slipped into the camp that will prove to be as big of a threat as anything from the outside of the camp and now they're going to face new opposition, not from the outside, but now from the inside. And jump with me into Nehemiah chapter 5. The, the intense community-wide efforts to build a wall, rebuild the wall, put an economic strain on these families. Can I tell you today, church, that sometimes Jesus said, if any man will follow me, let him first deny himself. Your service to the kingdom, some, uh, not all times, will be comfortable. Your, your pursuit of God's call on your life will not always lead you to places of comfort. But in fact, your seasons of following the call of the Lord will lead you to seasons of putting your life on the altar. And, and not just in prayer, but in sacrifice, in giving, in surrender. And just saying, God, I'm going to trust you here. I'm, I'm walking by faith. I'm living by faith. So to, here's, here's the thing. This, these people, they're pursuing God's will, and it's costing. To make matters worse, there's a famine, and their crops are ruined. Money and food were scarce. Enter Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, and there was a great outcry of the people and their wives not against Sambalat and Tobiah, not against the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, and all those other people, but there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. Something threatens to tear this community apart, and it's not 
the armies of the outside nations. There are, there are, there's something that halts their work. And it's, it's not an outside force. It's not the lack of provision. It's not the famine. It's not the want for manpower. They have become their own greatest hindrance. And because of, because of this very thing, Abraham and Lot separated back in Genesis. Isaac and Rebekah's family were torn apart. The doors of many churches have closed. Many endeavors have failed naturally and spiritually, not because of attacks on the outside, but because of a lack of unity, love, and care for one another on the inside. A lack of justice. And this great work is about to be blown up, not by any external force, but it's about to implode on itself because there are certain among them who were practitioners of injustice. God's covenant with Israel created a community based on two things. Number one was a wholehearted love for God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Number two was an unselfish love for one's neighbor. Matthew chapter 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law, they asked Jesus. And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great command. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is, the, this is the societal order not only of God's people in the Old Testament. This is the societal order of God's people in the church. Is that, is that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart. As a matter of fact, this is so important that Jesus said, if you come to the house of the Lord, I, can, can I be frank? I'll be Steve in just a minute, but if I can be frank right now. And I just want to say this to, and I'm not casting any shame or shade or anything else, but I just want to say, maybe you're watching online this morning, and I want to say to everybody sitting at home right now, because you're saved and you love Jesus, but you can't stand the church people. You don't know what you're talking about. Because this is so important that Jesus said, if you come to the house and you're at the altar with your gift of praise and you remember that there's aught with your brother, leave your gift at the altar and go make amends before you come back here because it doesn't work vertically until it's worked horizontally. And this is the societal order. Large families here had no food to eat. Families who own land have been forced to mortgage everything just to buy food. And a third group complained of having to borrow money to pay the king's tax on their lands and vineyards. And you ask, so what makes this so bad? Welcome to hard living. Well, the problem is that not everyone was having to live this way. There were many wealthy people who were taking advantage of their position 
of their countrymen. They were charging ridiculously high interest on their loans. They were taking their children of their countrymen into slavery just, to, just so the rest of the family could have enough to get by. And now you can begin to see what's happening here. People are being manipulated. People are being taken advantage of, not by people on the outside, but from people on the inside. Things are going south because people are beginning to manipulate one another. People are beginning to take advantage of one another. I dare say that somewhere in there people are beginning to gossip about one another, but that's a different sermon for a different day. That that may even be a six-week series of its own. I don't know. The real issue here is that the redeemed of God aren't acting like the redeemed of God at all, and specifically not towards the family of the redeemed. And God has established a society wherein he is to be honored and the fellow citizens were to treat one another with justice. And when we look for a definition of the word like justice, we find all kinds of things, words that describe things of a judicial nature. But if we dig through to find something that fits the context here, I believe that we come right back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 31 where Jesus said, and whatever you would that men would do to you, do also unto them. We call it the golden rule. Any of you guys in here, if you ever went through the Royal Rangers program, you know that the end of that pledge is and to make the golden rule my daily rule. I don't think that's just part of the ranger code. I think that's part of being a Christian. That we would make the golden rule our daily rule. And you know what? I think sometimes we are in a far more hurried or anxious state to exhibit that kind of love and that kind of care and that kind of concern to the people on the outside even more readily than we are sometimes people on the inside. And, you know... We really seem to struggle here in this area. So if you, if you and I are going to be world changers, though, we're going to have to get back to the idea of making the golden rule our daily rule. And when the news of this reaches Nehemiah, because it, it does, it comes back, he is furious. If you're, rightly so. He's, he's furious. And backed by the king's authority, understand this, Nehemiah could have immediately turn the tables on the offenders but how many of you know that the serving the Lord is not about the rule of law it's about a matter of the heart it's it's line upon line precept upon precept being changed into the likeness of Christ that's that's what it's about so it it was it wouldn't have necessarily done any good in resolving the issue for Nehemiah to come down with the hammer here and pronounce judgment what he's got to do is help these people see the error of what's going on he could have handed down this but he he took time to consider the problem and it's most God-honoring solution because two wrongs don't make a right and Nehemiah confronts these offenders and he sets an example for justice Nehemiah puts himself in the place of the abused and he asks the he asks the honest question and this is a question that you and I need to ask ourselves with every interaction if I was in their shoes
You say, well, pastor, you don't understand the life that they're... If I was in their shoes, pastor, you don't understand the choices. They, if I was in their shoes, there's a lot of us that we are so, so, so much more ready to pronounce justice on somebody else, even in areas where we expect grace and mercy from other people. And Nehemiah takes that time to lead these people through. How, how would I want to be treated in this situation? And you know what? If we could just get off our religious horses long enough to answer such a question, the effectiveness of Christian ministry, I believe, would skyrocket. But we seem to struggle because humility is a requirement for justice, for equitable justice. Some, some have erroneously described humility as thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less and thinking of other people more. And because there's a lack of humility, there's not a proper extension of mercy and grace flowing from our lives. We expect people around us to live at a higher standard than the one to which we're willing to hold ourselves. And we make rules and we have expectations for others, which we don't readily, we, we readily are looking for a pass on ourselves. But as a believer, we've got to be more concerned with doing what's right than we are doing what's lawful, what's lucrative, what's popular, what's applauded, or what's advantageous. We, we've got to stand for righteousness and the justice of God if we're going to change the world. And I promise that if you'll seek to love your neighbor as yourself, putting yourself in their place before you're ready to pass judgment on them and being moved with the compassion of Christ, you will be a standout in the world. You will be, God, the, the Lord says that we're going to be a peculiar people. Can I tell you, if you'll implement this in your life, you will be peculiar. You'll be strange, you'll be a little weird, and it'll be okay. Because you'll be like Jesus. You'll have a voice in places where you never thought that you'd have a voice before. You'll have influence in lives that you thought were too hardened to the gospel. There's a young man that has recently come into our fellowship and is, is you know, just being, been baptized and uh, just a wonderful testimony is actually uh, on track to join the church and everything. He said, the reason that I'm at this church is because it's the first place I've walked into in a long time that didn't judge me and my family, but loved me as I was and is walking with me towards where God is calling me. Is his world changed? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. So again, we circle back and say that the church is God's chosen instrument. And I'm going to tie some significance in here for the church and really bring this home. The church is God's chosen instrument for change in this generation. But even in that, we understand that it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's, it's not, yes, God has chosen the church, but it's not because we're so talented. It's not because we're so gifted. It's certainly not because we're so smart. But he has chosen to pour his anointing out on people and empower by his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And here's the thing. It requires the Spirit to be moving in and through us 
to impact change in the world around us. But unity is the MO of the Holy Spirit. There's an important piece in Acts chapter 2 that is missed by a lot of translations. If your Bible doesn't have it in it, I would urge you to grab a pen and just kind of write it in the margin right there. But I love the rendering from the King James that says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place. And that's where a lot of people stop off there. It says they were in one place, but King James says that they were with one accord. I'm telling you, where there's division, where there's backbiting, where there's, where there's all this manipulation and, and gossip, the Spirit of the Lord doesn't move there because that stuff's not under the blood and the oil doesn't flow where the blood hasn't washed. And it's necessary that we position ourselves to be conduits for the Spirit of the Lord. And if the enemy can get you and I to just behave unjustly towards one another, he doesn't even have to get us to act ungodly towards the world around us. If he can have us behave unjustly to one another, he doesn't have to have us behave ungodly towards the world around us. And the reason for that is, is that the trademark of authenticity for the believer is, Jesus says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. How's that? That you have love one for another. And everybody, you know what, go invite, 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 invite. Bring them in. The number one reason that people say they love coming to Faith Assembly Church is the sense of acceptance and the love and the feeling of family and togetherness that they get when they come in the front door. Thank you, First Impressions team. Thank you guys who are serving in the parking lot. Go invite them all you want to, but if they come into this house and they smell division and they smell discord, you're nothing but a clanging cymbal, banging gong, whatever kind of noise. You're fronting. Just fronting. And they see through the facade and we lose effectiveness. We can't change the world from that position. The trademark of the believer by this will all men know that you're my, you're my disciples. Injustice among the brethren invalidates the message of everything we say we believe. We can have the best outreaches, but when they come. So here's your action point as you're standing this morning. I, I want to give it to you straight from the word. Are you ready for it? Straight from the word. This is the action point. Look, you, you can't just come consume the word. You got to be ready to do something about it. So the Israelites were endeavoring to rebuild the wall and live as a restored people but living as a restored people of God meant more than laying block and stone and building cedar gates it meant living in community it meant treating one another right and showing grace and respecting people as people not just a commodity 
It meant walking in the requirements of the Lord. So here's your, here's your homework. Straight from the throne of God. Breathed by the Holy Spirit. He has shown you, O oh man, what is right. And what does the Lord require? But to do justly. To love mercy. We get that backwards. We love justice. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We love justice. You don't love justice? How do you feel when somebody flies by and cuts you off in traffic and immediately gets pulled over by the cop? Sucker, he got what he deserved. We love justice and we will do mercy. But the word says that we're to do justly and love mercy. Is the person seated next to you perfect? No. Is the guy standing in front of you perfect? No. Are the people that are going to come through these doors perfect? No. Are the people that are joining online? No, 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 no. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Do you know what walking humbly with God really means? It's if we take and apply the previous definition, it means that no longer am I walking with God for what I can get out of it, but for how God can bless other people through me. And can I tell you, when you become a conduit for the blessing of God, you also become a 10x recipient of the blessing of God in your life because he knows you're going to be a good steward with the blessing, a good steward of the anointing, a good steward of the gift, and he gives it. Do justly, love mercy. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.